Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 24. Today we are covering chapter 6 of Chamber of Secrets, Gildroy Lockhart, or as we like to call it, Influencer Culture. So despite the great um, feeling that Ron Harry had the night before arriving by flying car, today was not a good day for them because they have consequences for their actions. Shocking. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's kind of cool that the the sky in the Great Hall matches the sort of mood of the day and Harry's feelings. Like it's a gray, cloudy day. In the sky, and Harry's day is going to be rough, so that's funny. That is interesting. Nice little atmosphere note. Also, they start this chapter off by uh, listing off the breakfast foods, and I love when they list off these foods, but sometimes there's Britishisms, and I'm like, sorry, what? And today it was kippers. There were kippers, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, maybe it's like little small, like fried potatoes, you know, like. Yeah, I was going to note, you have what, you looked up what it was, and I did that a couple years ago, and I always thought reading the books and even probably really far into adulthood I always thought they were like some kind of potato I was just hoping I guess because I like potatoes but it turns out a kipper is a whole herring a small oily fish that's been split in a butterfly fashion from tail to head along the dorsal ridge it's been gutted salted or pickled and cold smoked over smoldering wood chips so they're having pickled fish for breakfast (laughs) um i think about it like here we have usually we get like a restaurant would have like the english breakfast as like an option and usually it's just like fried eggs toast sausage bacon hash browns or potatoes yeah maybe you'll get like a blood pudding or something if they're feeling zesty but yeah but never kippers and i just like for the longest time i just assumed it was some kind of potato or egg thing yeah. But yeah, and then I remember a few years ago, that it was, I looked it up and it was fish and I was like... Big old gutted pickled fish. <laughs> Who eats fish in the morning? Like, you know, I don't think of that being a British thing. I mean, like, I know some people, especially in Montreal, people like to have like a bagel with cream cheese and like salmon, like slices of salmon on their bagel with cream cheese. I don't know, man. Pickled fish, not my thing. Not something you, uh think about eating in the morning no i never wake up and think gee i could go for some pickled fish Mm. (laughs) so we start off the they start off their breakfast with um some letters coming and like i mentioned last episode some parents are sending their kids things they forgot like neville's being sent a package of things he forgot typical neville and uh, ron gets sent this red letter which turns it to be a howler and I was thinking, like, uh, we've never, this is our first experience with Hellers, and Neville knows clearly what it is, and people kind of notice Ron getting it, so everyone's, like, getting ready for a show. And I'm just wondering, like, these, I feel like these should be more frequent, because I feel like these kids are at boarding school, and kids get in trouble all the time, especially at Hogwarts, so I'm like, shouldn't kids be getting Hellers, like, more often? So I guess my theory on that is, A... Uh, if it goes to a character that's not prevalent to the plot, which is frankly most of the students at Hogwarts, they probably wouldn't, like Harry wouldn't pay that much attention unless it was particularly hilarious. And even if Harry thought it was hilarious, it doesn't really pertain to the plot. So like, I'm sure other students get them, but they're not mentioned or relevant to Harry. Also, I'm sure some parents would rather quietly punish their child rather than very, very publicly shame them in front of the entire school. Like, the Malfoys wouldn't publicly yell at Draco. They want him to look perfect. They'd send him a very strongly worded, quiet letter, you know? I guess the Malfoys wouldn't. It's just like, I just figured all the mischief kids get into, that it should be a daily occurrence at this point. (laughs) 
I feel like sending howlers to your friends would become like a prank thing people do, you know? Like Fred and George just sending howlers from Hogwarts to Hogwarts to have random people yelled at and shaking in fear when they see it, thinking it's from their parents. Yeah, honestly, I'm surprised that it hadn't happened at some point. <laughs> I'd like to think it did. It, I, I, you know, it's got to have happened. Yeah, the Neville also says that he has been sent as a howler before and he's telling Ron to open it because if you don't open it, it just explodes and it's worse or something. But yeah. Like, when do we think Neville got sent to Howler? Because it had to be the previous year. I mean, it could have been a first year about any of the number of trouble Neville accidentally gets himself into. Well, we know in the, within the first two weeks of school, Neville had quite the... Um, Rough time. Yeah, quite the issues. Neville Longbottom, stop breaking yourself. Should we even bother housing you if we're going to spend every night in the hospital wing anyway? Um, that was obviously a terrible Augusta Longbottom impersonation and I apologize. I think also with Neville's Neville-ness there's a chance he got them before he was away at Hogwarts like he lived with his grandmother but maybe he visited relatives and his grandmother sent him yelling notes like you forgot your toothbrush or similar things you know. Yeah. You know, or his grandma went away on vacation and sent him a letter being like don't forget to eat your green beans. If, if your parents could send you a howler what do you think the howler from your parents would say? Well, I have to go back to my, my youth because I feel like my parents would definitely would be, at least my mom would be the type to send a howler if she was really mad at me. But I feel like I was a pretty good kid, except for in some aspects that my, I let my grades slip because I just did not care about school. So I think if it was me, it'd probably be like 10th grades when I decided that I didn't care if I failed math because I didn't like math. And I was 16 and dumb. And <laughs> my parents were so mad at me because, yeah. Like you need to, you need math to graduate. But at the time, I was an angsty sixteen-year-old, and I decided, you know what? Who needs math? Not me. Yeah, I feel like my howlers would be from my mom, and they'd all just be like reminders for things, like don't forget to brush your teeth, don't forget to floss. Just like really, really angry. Did you floss today? Angry, burning red letters. Yeah, with angry reminders of the chores that I like didn't do that I said I would do. Things like that. Probably, yeah. I, I don't think my moms would be so much angry as, like, frantic. Like, how dare you climb that high in a tree? You could die. Or, like... How dare you ride that horse and fall off it and break your ankle? Get Why are you <laughs> on a racehorse to begin with? <laughs> Your typical teenage shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find the Howler moment and Neville talking about the one he ignored from his gran is so beautifully done in the film. Like, when I read it now, I perfectly picture the actor's perfect tone. He's like... Nord one from my grand once. It's so, like, he overacts it the way you would expect a kid to when saying that thing that happened. Like, it was so beautifully done. The one thing I don't understand about the entire Howler situation is, like, Ron gets it, sees it's red, and realizes what it is. And then he just sits there like, oh, dear. For me, it's like, I don't particularly want to be publicly shamed in front of the whole school. So I would, like, take it and, like, run outside as fast as I can in hopes of it not being so obvious and loud in front of everyone but he just kind of sits there and is like waiting for it to happen and I feel like I think maybe he's kind of he was in shock and it's also the fact that he didn't want to bring attention to himself so he I guess he figured running it would be more attention I mean it shouts pretty loud everyone they just think wow Ron Weasley has to pee really bad because I think I think later in the series (laughs) Neville does get a howler and he does run at the hall but I think you can hear it from like the entrance hall because I feel like they only have like only have like a few seconds from like when it's delivered to like when you touch it that it must like be like a bomb almost where it just it's like triggered because I think 
Harry says it's like smoking and stuff, so you kind of have to open it. And if you don't, it explodes or something, and it's worse. Yeah. I feel guilty when Miss Weasley is disappointed in them. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. Poor Miss Weasley, poor Mr. Weasley. And like, I didn't even do it, and I wouldn't have done it, but I feel bad when they're getting scolded. Yeah, as I, I, mo- I mentioned that, like, as a kid, I remember feeling so bad for Ron and so bad for Harry, because as a kid, like, you like kind of get how Ron is like because like you've probably been in trouble with your parents and, like you hate your parents being mad at you and I feel so like bad for him but now reading as an adult and just like all these crimes that they committed the last chapter I'm like yeah you idiots what were you, what were you thinking he absolutely has it coming but just the vibes of Miss Weasley the idea that Miss Weasley is that angry it just like I'm like, oh, no, I wouldn't want to upset Miss Weasley that much. Like, sign me up for the Cruciatus curse rather than Miss Weasley's disappointment. Well, we kind of get Harry's guilt because she mentions that Mr. Weasley's facing an inquire at work. And I don't think when I was a kid, I could really understand, like, the consequences of that because I don't really know things about work. Like, my parents don't talk about work with me as a kid and I had no interest in it. But, like, as a kid, you don't really understand, like work and stuff but now that we're adults that have like actual jobs and stuff it's like you can see like how serious the consequences could be especially knowing now that the rules mr weasley was bending for himself and it just kind of got uncovered by his stupid kid and his friend yeah yikes in the yard and harry feels guilty obviously because he really likes the weasleys and they they they, this is his first time like being away from the dursleys and he really liked being at their house and he's just kind of like mucked it up for them like obviously they don't they don't blame him yeah he doesn't doesn't want to do anything that will hurt this family that has done nothing but be loving and supportive for him. But teenager, sometimes you gotta steal a car and commit crimes and stuff just to get to school. Consequences for their actions, that's like I said. Oh, youth. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I hate that they added in the movie is the Howler congratulating Ginny on getting into Gryffindor. Like, I'm reading the book and the fact that that isn't in there is like relieving to me because that gives me so much anxiety. Like, that's so embarrassing. Like, Ginny did nothing to deserve to be publicly shamed, and mentioning her at all in The Howler does nothing to make her feel better or happy. Like, it's such an awkward, awful, uncomfortable situation that, like, it stresses me out. It's more, like, uh, context for the, the audience, because in the book we have this part where Ron asks about the sorting and, like, where her sister was, and McGonagall tells him, oh, she's in Gryffindor. But we don't have that in the movie, so they have to clarify to the audience that, okay, Jenny, Ron's sister, is in Gryffindor as well. Yeah, but it stresses me out. <laughs> it stresses me out, so I'm like, Pah. Yeah, the way they do it is kind of, like, chaotic. Too much, but too I much think anxiety. They, they, they tried, yeah, I feel like they, they made that scene really anxiety-inducing on purpose, I think, in the movies. Like, I, I'm like, oh, God, no, Miss Weasley, don't, don't do that. That's not cool. I also find, like, I love how Hermione is so mad at Harry and Ron about the stealing a car, crashing it into a tree business. But like, once she feels that they've been appropriately punished, she goes back to being friends with them. Like her sense of justice is so strong. Like she's like, this is wrong. There's a certain amount of scolding they need, amount of suffering they have to have as a direct consequence of their actions. And once they've received that, I'll be fine again. But until that point, I have to take in the responsibility of holding them accountable if no one else will. And I just, she's 12. Yeah, it's like Hermione Slytherin tendencies because she has like a very clear sense of at least her own sense of justice. Like she was very disapproving of them. And yeah, she basically was very short with them the whole morning. But once she felt that they were punished or at least Ron was punished, she's like, you know what? You've been embarrassed enough. Like I'm okay now. But it's just like not typical 12 year olds will have that. Like these are her friends too. Like she doesn't have any reason to be mad at them. 
Yeah, I can understand maybe being annoyed, seeing them never have to resolve the consequences of their actions. Like Hermione thinks things through and knows doing this thing is dangerous, I won't do it. And it's probably annoying for her sometimes for them to not think things through, make the wrong choice, and just there be no consequences. Like even though they're her friends, there's probably a part of her that's like, no, where are the consequences? Well, there's also the fact that they're her only friends and they went to school without her and like they kind of almost abandoned her. Like... What if Hermione's you on the train ride to Hogwarts, like, by herself? I always assumed she kind of, like, hung out with Ginny. I, I have no reason to think that, but I'm kind of like, I mean, she was probably like, where's Ron? And Ginny was like, I don't know. And Hermione's like, okay, well, you can sit with me. Let me tell you about Hogwarts. I'm very leadership-oriented, and, like, she's like a counselor already, you know? <laughs> Camp counselor Hermione. She's like, hi, I'm your second-year buddy. Let me tell you all about school. <laughs> Yeah, well, once Harry and Ron are, have been punished with the howler and that all in their ears, they head off to, like, their classes, and their first class is Herbology, which we don't get a lot of focus on in the books, but it is nice. But I love Herbology as a, like, classic witchy sort of field of study. Like, nature witches, forest witches, which is working with plants, is such a huge part of witch lore in general. I love that they do at least a little bit touch down on Herbology. And, like, it's actually really cool. Like, I would never say Herbology is my favorite subject. Certainly not. But, like, when you actually think about how neat it is and how much of a variety of plants there are, that at some point they're more magical creature than plant, it, it's a very interesting field. And, like, the fact that they can do so much with the plants they harvest and stuff, it's it's very exciting and very, like, classic homage to, like, classic schools of witchery. Well, way to Herbology, we are uh, met with uh, Professor Sprout, obviously, who has put the slings on the Whomping Willow, which is so funny. <laughs> and I wish she could have gotten that image in the movie, just seeing like this giant tree just lifts slings everywhere. But with her is Gilderoy Lockhart, of course, who is basically mansplaining to her how to do her job properly, which um, yeah, I was wondering how no professor has been like, has like snapped at him because basically all his professors like he mansplains to them her job and like how he can do it worse and the professors know he's full of shit but they just don't say anything so I don't know if that's like professional courtesy or respect for Dumbledore but I just feel like having something like one like that I'm like I don't know if I could hold my tongue I feel like it depends on the teacher like I find that Sprout is sort of more of an like she loves what she does and she's very sweet and bubbly but I feel like she'd rather not have to deal with the unnecessary confrontation so it's easier to roll her eyes and say yeah okay I'll make sure I'll do that next time Gilderoy than to like be like wow you're an idiot stop telling me how to do my job I feel like Minerva McGonagall is more like a stop being an idiot don't tell me how to do my job type Miss Sprout is more of a meh yeah I don't remember him actually ever telling McGonagall anything which probably is for the best because she would definitely be the type to be like, I'm not dealing with this. And we know that Snape later on is very much like he almost tries to catch Lockhart in holes. Yeah. Where he's like, he baits him and then tries to get him to like be doing things that he obviously can't do. I mean, you've got to, in, in those moments, you've got to like sever Snape. He's the only teacher who's like, well, I might as well fuck with him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just interesting how all the teachers, like they all know he's full of shit. And they're just like, Dumbledore hired this guy, really. And they all just kind of mess with him in like their own ways. Yeah. What an idiot. What an idiot. So this whole like... I guess we'll go into a bit later, but this whole, like, Gilderoy and Harry conversation, secondhand embarrassment, I, reading this again, I was like, Jesus Christ, I forgot how awful he was. I'm cringing, but I also want to punch him so hard. And we'll get into Gilderoy in a bit, but, like, yeah. 
I want to punch him so hard. So moving away from Gildory in that interaction, we get into a herbology where they're dealing with the mandrakes, and we meet Justin Finch Fletchley for the first time, which um, I remember not really understanding this, I guess, just because we're in Canada and like uh, we don't think about things like this, but he name drops Eaton, which I know now was obviously like this really like fancy school like where like the royals go. So obviously Justin's like from like a wealthy muggle family and just like the way he talks to you can see it and the way he says like I've convinced them that it'll be good to have a, a fully trained wizard in the family. Like the way he talks about his family. Obviously they're just kind of playing this so like we know why later on why he's afraid of Harry and stuff but yeah I, I didn't really pick up on like the real world like lessons because don't really have stuff like that in Canada. <laughs> And it's interesting because, like, then we sort of see the upper class money-wise. We have, like, sort of a juxtaposition of, like, muggle wealthy versus magic wealthy because we have the Malfoys, which are a classic old money magic family. And clearly, if he's going to Eton, he's intelligent and he's smart and he probably comes from some type of the aristocracy or yeah. those circles. So obviously he's, like, he's well-connected, but just, like, the opposite way. So he's, like, almost like Malfoy was, but just, like, on, in the opposite way. Which is interesting to see. It is. So the deal with their mandrakes, which is also like a really big foreshadowing point because um, we see from Hermione that they're used to like restore people that have been transfigured or cursed. And we just happen to be learning about these right now at the beginning of the book. How wonderful and convenient. And also another thing is as they go through the classes, they go to Transfiguration next. And we obviously see that Ron's wand is just not working properly. He taped it back together where it had snapped, but obviously it's not going to work. Obviously, it's also Charlie's wand, too. So the fact that it's kind of like... And it's already a type of wand wood that's particularly loyal to its original owner. So the wand already isn't really working on Ron's side. Yeah, but now Ron's really having issues with it. And I'm just wondering, like, the profs obviously see that his wand's, like, broken. And I get that they probably know the Weasleys can't afford another wand, really. But I just feel like something probably should have been done for this. Because it just feels like it's like smoking and it's like doing bad things to him. And it just feels like it's dangerous. Like we do know it like it, in the next chapter when he tries to curse someone, it fires back at him. So obviously like he can't do proper magic with it. Like if they had had exams this year, I don't know how he would have done them because obviously he can't do any kind of real magic with it. So I just feel like. Absolutely. And he can't learn the spells in normal classwork because to me, it's like an essential item to do almost all of your classes at Hogwarts is your wand. And it kind of shocks me that they don't have like a school fund for like if a kid needs a new wand because the wand is such an essential part of being a wizard and the way that they teach magic at Hogwarts. Like it's like putting a kid in an advanced math class and not letting them use their scientific calculator when everyone else is using their scientific calculator. It's like huge disadvantage i just feel like they know it's dangerous because snape even says when they do like the dueling in pairs that ron can't duel like shouldn't be dueling someone because one will backfire but i'm like if it's that dangerous then he probably shouldn't be using it at all and ron is yeah there should be someone who approaches his sends his family a letter and says one runs i feel like if mcgonagall's aware of it she should have like said something it's kind of awkward because obviously ron doesn't want to write home about his wand because he even tells harry and Anna hermione this because he'll get shouted at for like breaking it it's his own fault so he's just going to deal with it because that's how he's probably used to that in the family where something doesn't work it's like well you broke it so you have to deal with it because you know they can't afford another one right but like honestly like i feel like there should be some kind of like fund or something because absolutely like that's an essential thing for him to just be a basic student at hogwarts there absolutely should be a fund for that but for ron He's just 
sucking up and dealing with it. And we do notice in the next book, I think, that his magic is obviously better than it was here because he actually has his own wand that, the, that chose him that's like meant for him compared to Turley's old wand that's broken. One of the other things I noticed uh, after they finished their transfiguration and Hermione's showing off all her buttons she transfigured from uh, beetles is that I just really hope she transfigured them back. Like, beetles are living things that have their own little lives going on. It's one thing to pluck them up and turn them into a button for an hour to show your teacher. But, like, I really hope they got what was, like, a temporary transfiguration spell because... Yeah, I don't know really how long, like, the, the lifespan of, like, transfiguration is. But, I mean, I hate bugs. So, I mean, they want to make beetles into buttons. I suppose. <laughs> okay. As long as they're not in my house. Also, this feels a bit unnecessary, but, like, Harry talks about carrying his seven Gildor Lockhart books to Defense Against the Dark Arts, and that's heavy. Seven textbooks? Yeah, and textbooks. Well, even, like, that's just, like, a whole Harry Potter set. But, like, even if I have, like, I have the paper pack version, then I have, like, my originals, and that's, like, heavy. Like, and they just have these little book bags. Like, I don't know how they're supposed to be carrying those around along with their other textbooks because they had Transfiguration, and I'm assuming other classes that day, too. So, like, the Herbology textbook, the Transfiguration textbook, seven book set. And it seems kind of rude to make them carry all of them. Like, it's not like you're going to read all of the textbooks in class. Like, you start with one. Like, tell them to, we'll be starting our unit with vampires, only bring the vampire book. I hope they have some sort of spell on their book bags, like Hermione's undetectable extension charm or something that like makes it easier to carry them. Because otherwise that's just awful. I definitely feel like it's like Lockhart's just kind of like um, narcissism that he wants to see everyone having all seven of his books in his class just so he can like see it. So it's just like more of him. He's like, yes, I'm a bestseller now. All I had to do was force everyone to buy my book. It's like your old professor that made you buy that book all of his books well moving into our Lockhart discussion so we're going back into this um conversation that Gilderoy steals Harry from class to have this conversation with him which is super cringy so embarrassing I feel for Harry honestly the worst really important conversation that Harry totally needs yeah, so Lockhart's whole interpretation is he feels like Harry, he gave Harry the taste for fame, and now Harry's just going out and he's doing things, things for attention. And like, first of all, Gildroy Lockhart refers to Harry as a nobody. Harry Potter, the boy who lived, the boy who literally Muggleborns already know who he is. Like, he's a big friggin' deal. And he's like, you're just a nobody, Harry Potter, but maybe one day. And it's like, excuse me? Yeah. Well, he's like the typical guy where he he's so narcissistic in, in his, like, his own delusional world where he's being praised for things. And obviously we know he's a smart guy because of how he becomes famous is from like basically like going after people and, and taking credit. Meanwhile, Harry wants no part of it. I generally don't just throw around, around narcissism, things that are like diagnoses willy-nilly. So I did check in the DSM-5 to confirm that he's definitely a narcissist. And the definition per the DSM-5, or Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Illness 5, is the preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. A belief that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or associated with other special or high-status people or institutions. A need for excessive admiration. And that is pretty much knocking the nail on the head when it comes to Gilderoy Lockhart. Like, he does note that Harry has some fame, but I think it's also, a, like, a, his thing, well, he doesn't want to be seen as less than Harry. 
So he's holding like his fame over him. He's like, oh, you have some fame for that you know who stuff, but honestly, it can't compete to my like all my awards accolades. He's intimidated by Harry because Harry's actually known for doing something great to defeat evil, and he himself just pretends. So it's probably really intimidating to Lockhart, and he has to like sort of come out with this ingratiated self. Nope. This huge sense of self and like project himself as so much more confident just because he's so uncomfortable with being around Harry who's actually done something. I think it's like Harry doesn't even, doesn't like what he's known for. Basically, he's just known for living while his parents died and he has wants nothing to do with this and he tries to correct him, but Lockhart just can't be like told and it just like drives Harry insane. Yeah. Which we get. I really just want to slap Gilderoy Lockhart so much. I mean, he's really out here saying that Harry's never done anything as good as him, such as winning the best smile competition. Meanwhile, Harry literally beat Voldemort. Like, he literally compares it to his best smile award, which just makes me so mad. However, here's our thought experiment for the day. Who do you think should win which weekly's most charming smile award? You could name one Harry Potter character and one, like, famous person in the muggle world or something. I can go first. I would say probably one of the twins for best smile in Harry Potter because in my mind they have a very mischievous like smile and it just seems like fun and treble, you know? So that's what I go for in novel. And out of novel I would go with Natalie Dormer because she has this beautiful little crooked <laughs> smile that makes it look like she could murder 7,000 men. And I don't know. It's the greatest smile there is. It's sinister, but also beautiful. And it makes me the most happy. You really go for, like, really unique smiles. Like, a mischievous smile compared to, like, a crooked smile. Yeah. I'm just, I can't, I can't think of anyone's smiles right now. <laughs> it's, I guess it's not something I really, like, look for. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Hermione's crush on Gildred Lockhart, which is a big kind of, like, focal point of this book as well. Because we know Hermione is someone who values intelligence and everything comes along with that. But her crush on Gilderoy is completely opposite of that because everyone around her is very, like, knowing that Lockhart's full of shit, but she keeps defending him. And one part of me says that it could be because he's a professor and she wants to believe in, like, her professors and she respects them. But sometimes it's just, like, the evidence is so much in front of her that she's just, like, she's just so smitten, like, she can't, like, separate it. Yeah, I think, uh... It's probably just that she thinks he's super hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's she's tw- she's a twelve year old girl, so it make like I think we all had. Yeah, it's it's hormones over logic. You know what I mean? Like when you have a crush on someone when you're young. Yeah, I think we've all had those crushes on like stupid boys that we know were like full of shit, but you just you can't like help it. It's just like yeah, stupid boys, stupid girls. We've all had a stupid crush or two in our day. Yeah. <laughs> My, the funniest thing is that she draws um, hearts and on her schedule around Gildroy's class and then Ron and Harry are like, what do you, why do you have this? And she's like, no reason, leave, leave me alone. Those aren't hearts, they're kidneys. <laughs> so it's like Hermione's obviously in the crush stage, but Harry and Ron are very much in the girls have cooties stage because they don't even see Hermione as a girl at this point. So it's just very funny that like her like her first real crush and we're kind of seeing it through uh, Harry and Ron's eyes where they're just think that she's being an idiot. But she's like, and she desperately tries to hide it from them. <laughs> yeah, poor Hermione. So another point is uh, we meet uh, Colin Creevy, who is kind of like, sets Gilderoy off more on Harry. But Colin Creevy, who is like little muggle boy, who's like the super excited little boy. 
dad's a milkman and he want it's very sweet where he says he wants to take pictures of everything to show his family because his family were like amazed by this which i get really sweet i think that is sweet and so he's asking harry for a picture which i get because people have probably told him like oh harry potter is like like this cool story like and like he's just there at the table but i just find me so weird that he's like he's like first can i have your picture which i get it's weird if you don't know the person but when he explains he wants to send it to his dad i'm like oh that's so sweet and then he's like can you sign it and i'm like what is this like his dad has gonna have no context about like, any of these people and like i feel like his dad will be fine if he just sends him like a few pictures i mean like this is so and so from my house but he's just like you should sign it i mean i think he probably writes home a lot and it's like I learned about Harry Potter today he's very famous and he's in my house and like that makes my house the best house and also this is me and Harry Potter who's very famous like I can see it as like you're young you're in a new place and they're like this guy's a celebrity and you're immediately like yes absolutely especially if he's like told this because he's hearing it through other people obviously he's met in like first year so he's probably hearing it from like pure blood yeah people being like oh here's the story about harry potter and then they, they if they think harry's really cool and then they're just telling it to colin and he's just eating he's eating everything up he's just so overexcited about being at hogwarts but also like that is sort of just celebrity culture like when you run into a celebrity the first thing someone says oh hey can i get a picture with you like that's kind of for better or for worse that's sort of how it works so I guess it's just he he doesn't actually know Harry and he doesn't know how people interact with Harry. So all he knows is like, this guy's basically a celebrity. So he's like, oh, okay, what do you do when you see a celebrity? Well, you, you get a picture with them and you tell all your friends. And so like, I guess celebrity culture of it makes sense. It's weird because that's not really how the school treats Harry or Harry wants to be treated. But I guess... I think this is the first day of term properly so he doesn't really know but i feel like like because harry says yes to him he puts up with him and colin's just this little pest that's just like he doesn't know where the lines blur i think it's kind of reminds me a lot of like like youtube culture but when we that we grew up with like now it's more influencer culture but when we grew up youtubers were like this weird thing that they were kind of celebrities, but they, they were they were still very much normal people. And you felt like you knew your favorite YouTuber. And the lines were very blurred about like how you could act with them because they, they were kind of like told as like they were your friends. But it was, yeah, it was, it was because this is like just around the time where they started making money. So it's like they were making some money. So it's like they were kind of your friends and you can like walk to them up on the street and be like, it's almost like you knew them, but like, there's more of a firm line now, but back in the day when it was really new, it was just, like, really odd. Yeah, it's a weird in-between between, like, full-on celebrities and normal people that, like, you have to understand before you know how to handle it. Yeah, and Colin's just, like, not really sure. And Harry, kind of, it's kind of, he's too polite to tell him, being like, you need to leave me alone. Colin, this is also the more embarrassing part of the book, where Colin asks him to sign the picture, and Malfoy comes out, of course, and he's like, ugh, sign pictures, Potter, you're so annoying. And it's really funny because Colin says he's jealous and knowing what we know about how Draco complained about Harry to his dad all summer about like how he gets treated and how Draco doesn't get treated like that. And we just know that it's true. And then Draco's just like, no, no, it's not. Yeah. No, you're jealous. <laughs> and then of course, Guildford Lockhart comes out to make everything worse. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> and he's like, we'll both sign it and we'll take this photo together. And Harry's just wanting to like disapparate on the spot, which I get. Just die. He's like, Voldemort, can you kill me now, please? I've changed my mind. Come and get me. 
Voldemort's like, wow, this is great. All I needed was some asshole to embarrass this kid so much. Going back to uh, Gildory's like talk with Harry, where he's basically giving him PR tips. It very much reminds me of just our general influencer culture that we live in these days, where you usually have really big influencers being like, oh, you want to be an influencer? Here's some like tips about how to get started, which obviously don't really work because I feel like being an influencer is all about the time, like where you are. Yeah, having money, and it's also just luck. Step one, be super rich or super pretty. Think about all of the YouTubers we grew up with that became really big. It, it was just where they were at the time. You had to be on that platform at that time. Yeah. And it was really easy because there wasn't all the competition. Just the same thing with these influencers that got big on Instagram these days. It's like they were on the app at the right time with the right resources, and that's just how it happened. It doesn't, you, you can't really, like, all these PR tips don't really work. Gilderoy Lockhart would absolutely be an influencer or involved in that culture i could see it yep he's just the og influencer i could see him like being one of the ones that sells like expensive online courses on how to be an influencer and it's like step one know your best angles when taking photos (laughs) like and that would be his pyramid scheme he'd be like buy my course on how to be like to have how to have the best smile and he'd just be like have my smile (laughs) seriously and he would have so much sponsored posts you know Gilderoy Lockhart brought to you by Crest White Strips Gilderoy Lockhart brought to you by your local seller of pyramid schemes from high school hey girling you in your inbox oh god Gilderoy Lockhart actually now is probably a good time for our first ever ad break so we'll be back in a minute hey listeners that's right it's me Gilderoy Lockhart you may know me for my charming smile flawless hair, or my many dramatic and heroic adventures. You will probably never be as heroic as me, or as handsome, but if you use Lockhart's Locks to Heart Hair Care, you could be a bit closer. That's right, for just 17 sickles a month, you can be slightly closer to my level of hair perfection. Thank you for the, the word from our first sponsor. Love it. Highly recommend. So going back to Lockhart's first class, so obviously it's just kind of, everyone's kind of in disbelief of him because he's talking about all these, like, like we're supposed to be knowing him, he's supposed to be cool because of all these cool things he's done, which we know that he didn't do. So he's kind of, he's using his own, like, charisma and everything to kind of, like, build himself up. And some of the class is, like, into it, but some of the other class are kind of like, okay, this guy seems, like, not the real deal cringy i feel like in a lot of the cases some people are distracted by how dazzling he is like he's clearly very charismatic and they're like oh he's so shiny and like well, like confidence does a lot if someone's very confident like you have no reason not to believe them absolutely so i think that's like his confidence is almost all of why people believe he's what he's saying and assume he's actually a valuable source of information and then people who see through that or don't care or just aren't sort of a tr- like are suspicious of that degree of confidence or that much like sparkle are like wait what and i feel like ron is good at understanding like social situations and like cues slightly better than some of the other kids maybe because he grew up with so many siblings so he's kind of like i don't know it smells a bit like bullshit (laughs) so obviously uh i think the first the first example of this is he gives a test and it's all questions about his books which I didn't think they explicitly said they had to read them before class. Like Hermione obviously reads them, but I don't think most kids are reading the books before class. But anyway, and it's not things about like the scenarios in which he helped. How to beat a vampire. 
Yeah, like all this ne- these scenarios that he did. It's just things about him, like what's his favorite color? What's his greatest ambition? What would he like as a present? And obviously Hermione gets top marks in this, but I just feel like once Harry and Ron are reading this, they're just like, okay, this guy's full of shit. Like, this is, a, this is stupid. Like Quite so full of shit. It's just... Uh... But obviously, yeah, Hermione's just like super into it. She's so flattered and obviously... Hormones have taken over because her common lo- her common sense is like cannot compute. She cannot put the two things together. Yeah, I think in Hermione's case, she knows she could learn defense against the dark arts from a textbook, but she can't stare at a handsome man with a dazzling smile on her textbook. So she's like, I'll just teach myself defense against the dark arts and enjoy the view while I'm in class. <laughs> like it's fine. Well, she does change her tune later because when Umbridge is teaching, she's like, I can't learn defense against dark arts in a textbook. I'm starting in a legal society. Yeah, but it's harder magic then. <laughs> this is easy magic. Plus, if Umbridge was hot. <laughs> if Umbridge was hot, maybe things would be different. <laughs> so, and other, after the test, Lockhart decides that he's going to, like, I guess, like, surprise them with some danger. So he has a cage full of pixies that he's going to release into the class, which these kids, the kids are not prepared at all. They barely know any magic. And he didn't really give them any instruction. He's just like, deal with them. That's just, he's not only a bad person and a fraud, he's not a good teacher. Yeah, I just feel like he he had assumed that he could handle this and it'd be like this big thing where he could save them and show off like how amazing he is. But obviously it it didn't work well because he's not a smart man and he didn't know how to handle it. And instead, he just ran away. And even if he did know how to handle it. You're not a savior for protecting the kids from the thing you've released on them. You're just an asshole. And like, he believes his own hype more than everyone else because he knows he hasn't done any of those great spectacular heroics that he writes about. So like, what in his mind makes him think that like, I should put these children in danger to save them? Like, what makes you think you can? There's no evidence. Like, obviously he's living in a deluded fantasy. Like, he knows deep down that he can't he can't do all the things he did, but he still wants to show off and have that superiority and like have everyone think he's amazing. So he sets himself up to do something amazing in his eyes. And obviously he falls flat because he doesn't have the skill and he's le- he leaves Harry, Ron, and Hermione to deal with it. It's just not good teaching. Like there are people who are not good at particular things, but can teach them well. Like they're like, listen, I'm not the best at whatever, this and this, but I can talk about it in a way and explain it in a simpler way that makes it easy to understand. He doesn't have that. I mean, compared to other professors, Dumbledore doesn't do a job, good job at, at picking people that are good professors. Usually they're really good in their field, but they can't teach, as we know with like Hagrid and Snape sometimes. But in this point, it's just like, he's just not a good teacher and they're obviously not going to learn anything this whole year. And it's like, we know Hagrid says that Dumbledore only hired Gildroy because he was the only one who applied. Like no one else would take the job. But it just seems really irresponsible to Dumbledore. Like he Dumbledore has to know that this guy's useless. So I feel like at this point, like the kids aren't gonna learn anything for an entire year. Yeah, I think Dumbledore had other motives for hiring Lockhart. I think he hired Lockhart primarily because he knew Harry would see how obnoxious Lockhart was and Harry would learn the importance of being like of having humility of not letting fame get to his head because everything Dumbledore does is about Harry and I feel like there is a chance that that Harry could have gotten a bit of an ego I mean his father had one and Harry's the chosen one with his father's DNA so I feel like Gilderoy Lockhart was a choice that Dumbledore made specifically to sort of shape the personality of Harry by showing him the worst case scenario of ego 
That seems like a very Dumbledore thing, putting Harry, what he wants Harry to learn above everyone else's education. Yeah, everyone else doesn't need to learn as long as Harry becomes what Dumbledore wants him to be. I also believe I've read somewhere that Dumbledore knew some of the actual wizards and witches that had done some of the feats Lockhart tried to take credit for. And so he knew that if Lockhart taught for a whole year at Hogwarts, sooner or later the fraud would be exposed. So I think he partially wanted Lockhart to suffer and be exposed, but also wanted Harry to be... At the expense of kids' education. Can we imagine, like, the kids... Again, yeah, school's not for learning. School is for Harry. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, the kids that are in, like, their fifth year, that it's, like, their owl year, and this is who's teaching them? Yeah. Or the kids in their last year who have to take exams as well, and this is who's teaching them? I mean, they'll probably do well because they'll know exactly what questions he's going to ask, because they're going to be like, what is Gilderoy Lockhart's favorite spell? Obliviate. <laughs> what does Gilderoy Lockhart like to have on his tacos? Yes, yeah, so at the end of the class, like, Harry kind of be- is, like, to remind him, like, how, like, this guy is a total, like, loser. He doesn't know what's going on. And he's like, how do you, like, how can you still, like, believe in him? And Hermione's just like, oh, he's a professor. And she's just kind of, like, grasping at straws. So, like, part of her does know that he obviously isn't that great. But yet Ron actually says that, um, well, her whole reasoning is, like, you know what, all the work he's done. Like, like he's a really great wizard. Like, why wouldn't, like, it, this was just, like, a thing that went wrong. It's, it happens. And then Ron is, like, things he said he's done. So we kind of already get the idea that Gildor is not really what he says he is. I said it before, but Ron can smell the bullshit. Yeah. I mean, there's also probably a small part of Ron that, like, really wants to hate Lockhart because he's so obnoxious. And if what Lockhart did was all false and he didn't do that, you're allowed to hate him. But if he's actually a great hero who saved lives and fought vampires, like, you can't hate him openly so much. So he's kind of like, I hope he's secretly a dick so that I don't have to like him or respect him. Um, Also, we don't really mention it so much, but Neville could have died. Those Cornish pixies could have killed Neville. Neville could have died so much. <sighs> Nobody values Neville. It's kind of sad. Yeah, Neville's really put for the ringer these first couple books. Like we talked about earlier in this, this episode, but like his first two weeks of school. Yeah. It's kind of like the person Harry becomes is very much because of Dumbledore. And the person Neville come, becomes is very much despite of Dumbledore. Because it's Dumbledore's poor choices to try and mold Harry that always end up getting Neville in trouble. <laughs> yeah, they always end up injuring Neville. I also think that after that particular class, I know we don't exactly know who was in that Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson, but you you got to assume he does a similar lesson with every kids. Yeah, well, usually they, they, they do two groups at a time because we know that they have potions of the Slytherin. So you're assuming like they, they do like Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, then Ravenclaw, Slytherin. So Draco's going to have the same teacher. Uh, either way, I think this particular class is something Draco Malfoy's father should have heard about. Yeah. <laughs> This is the type of thing you write home to your father about. This dumbass teacher released a bunch of Cornish pixies. People could have died. We're not learning anything. And his father on the board could write a strongly worded letter. I think Draco wouldn't really care about that too much because we know that uh, Lucius wasn't happy with Malfoy's marks. So maybe he kind of sees through Lockhart. But he's like, you know what? If he has an easy ride through the class, he's not really going to care unless it affects him. I'd like to think that the Cornish pixies hung Draco from his ears too. (laughs) <laughs> now I just feel like he would have used Crab and Goyle and like escaped like he's fine if it hurts other people but he always has an escape plan because I feel like teachers that he knows he doesn't get along with like when they have Lupin in the next book he he it personally affects him so he's trying to get him fired but um for for things that don't affect him personally he doesn't care yeah that sounds about right Draco is inherently selfish and does only care about himself 
He just wants to coast by. Oh my gosh, is Draco Malfoy Dumbledore? Have we ever seen them in the same place at the same time? It's why Draco wanted to kill him. It's like there can only be one. <laughs> only one can live while the other survives or something. The prophecy that we didn't know is around. <laughs> the second prophecy. That's a fanfic somewhere. <laughs> Draco Dumbledore the whole time. <laughs> Gasp. Do you have any closing remarks for this chapter? Yes, I, I do. I think Kipper sounds disgusting and I, I, I don't want to eat pickled fish for breakfast. I think that I personally appreciate that Severus Snape tries to make Gildroy Lockhart's life difficult at Hogwarts. I think that is the appropriate and responsible thing to do. <laughs> and uh, I'd just like to say that I am happy now as an adult that Harry and Ron get consequences for their actions as they deserve because... You commit crimes, you do the time. And they committed a lot of crimes. They did so much crime. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited. We'll be back next time to discuss chapter seven of Chamber of Secrets, Mudbloods and Murmurs. Ooh, that's a really good chapter title. I mean, we're going to rename it something funny, but that's a really good chapter title. <laughs> we're going to get into some deep topics with wizarding society and racism and all of that, you know childhood stuff you read in books good wood that's it for us this week bye mom love you see you next time bye